Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. The Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome along to the show. And today we're going to be discussing Fulham's thrashing of Millwall. It ended 2-1 at the Den. And quite frankly, it should have probably finished 8-0. But hey, who wants to make life easy for themselves? We'll be reacting to Tuesday's demolition of the Lions down in South Bermondsey. It was a wonderful evening for all that were there. And I'm sure for all that were watching at home on the telly. Uh, we'll also be previewing Saturday's visit of Hull to Craven Cottage and no doubt discussing the future of a certain Fabio Carvalho. Uh, and here to discuss all of that with me today is Mr Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. How are we doing? Yeah, good, good. All, all recovered just about, I think. Yeah, um, we, had a, we had a reasonably late night uh, on Tuesday. I've got a question for you, actually, before we uh, get anywhere. But, but first, let me introduce uh, the Fulham writer for The Athletic, Peter Rutzler. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, Jack. How are we doing? Oh, it's very, very good, good thank you. I've had kind of two nights out in a row and like I'm just feeling it a little bit today. I, I don't know. I'm getting old, mate. I am getting old. I mean, I'm 30 next year. And I need to sort my life out is basically what we're, what we're saying. Yeah, well, it's fine. If you're fine until that point, once that moment comes, we'll have a discussion about it. It's, it's not. It's not okay, Jack. It's not okay. All right, um, Jack. Before we go anywhere, um, I remember late on Tuesday night, we were in the old King's Head uh, by London Bridge, uh, having a couple of uh, celebratory pints, and two Fulham fans uh, who listened to the pod came up to you and said, "Can you give us a shout out on the podcast?" And you said, "Sammy, please, can you remind me uh, to do the shout out?" So. Can you remember their names? Yeah, William and Liam. It's to be fair, it's, it's, it's sensible because both the names roll into one if you can, if you can work it out. But yeah, William and Liam, I met half time. They're all well nice and they love the pod, so they were like, "Can we have a shower?" And I was like, "Yes, of course you can." And you were really are. like, "Oh, I'm going to forget." I was going to forget, <laughs> but it's okay. I, I, thank you. I, I would have forgotten. So okay. respect, Good. respect. I wouldn't have forgotten the names, but I would have forgotten. Uh, I would have forgotten yeah. to do the shower. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm amazed that um, we remembered anything after Tuesday, but here we go. Uh, let's do some three word reviews uh, from Tuesday's game. Jack, you were having a bit of a scroll through Twitter. There were some very, very good ones. Yeah, Connor Daly probably won the won the day, I'd say, with seriously fabulous performance, um, which was which was very good. Um, yeah. Stephen O'Burn's nail biting blowout, I liked a lot, and there was there was a couple on that kind of uh, on that kind of vibe. Keith. With Millwall thrashed narrowly, I thought was excellent. Yeah. Um, then there was a couple of Luke Kelly's Marco's Millwall massacre. Um, Julian Hare with Den and Dusted, which I liked a lot. Um, that's br- that's brilliant. That's got to be a pod name contender. Come on, Den it, and it does have to be. It does have to be. Uh, Cam Ramsey, our very own, with Carvalho's Lion Carvery. Um, I thought was was very good. Um, and Michael Smith uh, at MC Smith nine 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 Diego Armando Carvalho. 
Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. Well, chaps, look, uh, I, I, I premiered this on Sunday's podcast, but just for your, uh, your listening pleasure. <laughs> All aboard. All, All aboard. aboard HMS Piss the League. Uh, we're now no longer top of the league, which I'm very upset about, Peter, after West Brom decided to put some goals past <laughs> Sheffield United last night. Um, your thoughts on Tuesday. Um, I just enjoyed your text in the group yesterday, Peter, where you just said, Fulham are so good. <laughs> well, it's true. It's true. And it's all a bit a bit strange, to be honest. I've seen eight goals already, three games into the season. Um, it's uh, seven in a week. Yeah, which is uh, which is very very exciting, and and to be honest, you know, the football that Fulham played at times on on Tuesday night at the Dem was was so so special. I think in the first half, um, the intensity, the speed, um, Millwall didn't have any answer, and I guess you expect it from a squad like that. But to actually not only make the most of those players, but to play in a, such an attacking and positive way uh, with bodies flying forward, it was uh, really really enjoyable and electric start to the game and. You know, it's, you know, we'll talk about it, but it was a mystery how it ended up being 2-1 and and how it became so nervy, but Fulham managed to to see it out in the end. And I think it was a bit of a statement performance. Um, maybe it won't have caught the eye too much because of the, the scoreline. Uh, maybe Huddersfield would have done that. Um, but in terms of performance, this was by far Fulham's best of the season. And, you know, if, we're, if we are only three games in and, and Marco Silva's still talking about how he want, it would take time to imprint his identity, then, you know, I mean... It's exciting. It's very, very exciting, and yeah, that's <laughs> more than merit to text. Then Fulham are so good because uh, at the moment they they really do look like it. Yeah, Jack, what what an electric start! Uh, two minutes in, Fulham one nil up. Seven minutes in, Fulham two nil up, and and actually within about twenty minutes should have been three. Had, had Cavalero stuck his chance away, just looked like every time we went forward, it was it was going in. And and what I think we kind of said in the build up to this game was. Huddersfield are really bad. It's hard to fully judge Fulham on Saturday's win as good as it was. And we said Millwall is a much tougher game, much more of a litmus test of where Fulham are. And we've passed that litmus test for sure. Yeah, with flying colours. Um, it was one of those where I was trying to say to people, I was, you know, they were like, Millwall are rubbish. And I was like, I don't actually think they are. Like, I don't think they're that bad. And, and that's, they didn't play particularly well. We'll caveat that with that is is a point of they, they didn't, pick up they didn't do anything I kind of expected them to do but I think Fulham made them look poor um, and 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 that's how that's something to, to be impressed about it's something to be excited about you know these are this is a Millwall side that I have in and around the playoffs you know in, in, in kind of where I was looking at the season before it started and you know maybe you compare and contrast that to Borough who are another side that I had in and around the playoffs and, and say that Borough are much more physically demanding unit they're uh, they're a little bit more resilient they're a little bit more know what they're about but it, it did feel like Fulham just were like no, no no we're just better than you and we're going to put you to the sword and look we can come on to the fact that we made it difficult for ourselves of course we did and of course it was going to be a stupid header that bounced off someone and of course it was going to be Malone involved and Smith involved and you know I mean what's the name of this podcast but it um it, it did feel like yeah. we you know should have been four five nil up at that point and you know yes Cav misses I'm still furious that Cav hasn't taken that on his right foot I, I don't know what he's doing. He's right footed. Like he needs to, why doesn't he take that on his right peg um, is one thing. There's some heroic defending 
from Millwall to to block a couple of the chances that get done from the pool back in the second half. There's some really good saves from Bialkowski. Um, he saves that shot from Mitrovic on the swivel, which is a really, really good down and gets gets back up again to deny Cat Fabio as well. But I think that Fulham are, are, are inching towards where we need to be. Um, and, and that's exciting. It's, it's something that we can, we can look forward to. And, and I think that there are going to be games this year, and we said it after Borough, there are going to be games this year where we absolutely batter teams and don't get what we deserve. And Tuesday could have been another one, which is scary because of how good we were. Um, so there is that element of take your chances, get Fulham into a, a place where we're really, really ticking. Um, but I do, I'm confident, I feel, I feel happy. And again, like I tweeted the next day, but I believe in this side. You know, it's the bodies piling forward every time we get the ball. It's, you know, it's the ability to to get those overlaps working, to get pullbacks back into the into the area and in places that are dangerous for Mitrovic. So there was a couple of pullbacks that, you know, narrowly avoided people and, and just ended up with a middle defender and got cleared. And you look at those as almost like, oh, that was a shame. But actually, that's exactly what you want. You want Josh Onuma hitting the byline. You want the fullbacks hitting the byline. You, what we're finding is, is Fulham starting to find an attacking rhythm again. And that is so exciting. Yeah, Peter, um, Jack touched upon it there. The midfield engine uh, in the first half, it was Seri and Onuma. Onuma went off at half time, which was a real shame. But then on came Frank Zappa and Gisa, yeah. <laughs> which just had um, Fulhamish tweeted the Simpsons gif, which was stop, he's already dead, um, which was just the perfect summation of what that substitution kind of entailed. And you're thinking, Jesus Christ, they've had the toughest first half and now we're bringing on a record sign who quite frankly should be playing in European competition this year, not in the second tier um, but that midfield engine just drove Fulham and and Millwall just couldn't get out of their own half at times could they because we just we just snapped the ball back and, and quite often it was Seri at the heart of that I think by the end of the first half um, I was looking around the Millwall team and because because of what the den is like and because of the noise the home fans can generate and and you know it wasn't it wasn't completely one-way traffic in the first half there were there was a decent little spell I think after the two goals where Fulham just dropped off a little bit the crowd tried to get behind the team uh, and, and Mill just didn't have the quality to, to, to break Fulham down. I actually thought Tim Ream and, T- and Tosin were absolutely outstanding as well. Uh, it's actually quite difficult to, <laughs> it was to a man, everyone was very good. Um, but there was that period where they had to, to ride that pressure um, to come through it. And yet they never really looked under any pressure. And, 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 fo- and despite that noise, despite the fact that it was at the den, despite some of the tackles that Mill were throwing in, mainly on the line. I mean, there, there were a few nasty ones on, on Fabio, but in general, you know, it was, it was tough. Um, and yet Fulham were able to match their intensity and beat it um, even, even after that point. And I guess that comes down to some of the quality in midfield. You know, I think John-Michel Serri, the last couple of games um, has been, been excellent. We've really seen what he can do technically on the ball in terms of moving it from left to right, in terms of dictating the tempo of the game. He stands in the middle and he's pointing at everyone. He's telling everyone where to be. Uh, he, he genuinely does seem to run this thing. Um, Josh Onimer, as you said, it's such a shame he went off with a knock. I really hope that's not serious because the last two games he's been brilliant. Um, not just in terms of his work rate in midfield. He's fantastic at reclaiming the ball. He's been doing a lot, especially uh, on Tuesday night. But his driving runs, um, his dribbling, uh, he complements Fabio quite well. Fabio's all, a lot about movement. He's very good when he's dribbling with it too. He's very quick, very nippy. Um, Onoma can beat a man quite comfortably, can go around them. He's deceptively quite quick as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when you're bringing on Anguissa at half time, it isn't particularly fair. And I, I, Anguissa, you, <laughs> particularly with the way Fulham are playing 
at such intensity, you, you just you wouldn't assume that he would sort of slot into that because he has that languid style, as we've talked about before, and everything seems to slow down uh, when he gets possession. But even he slotted in really comfortably. Um, gosh, just, you know, just running away with praise a little bit here. But Angus yeah. is one of those footballers, though, that when you're when you're winning. What a player to have in the side as well. What a almost like taking the. It looks like he's taking the piss half the time. Well, I don't think the, he is. It's just his thing, style. But he's like so, flicking it over players' heads. He does it so often. Well, he, he did that at the end of the game. I think it was after. Was it after two one where he flicked the ball over Jed Wallace's yeah. head? You know, Fulham are trying to retain the ball, and there he is just flicking it over Jed Wallace's head, then running forty yards across the pitch in possession. Yeah, there was a um, moment there where you kind of wanted him to, there was no one could get anywhere near him. The body feints were going, you know, left, right, centre. He was sending defenders back in and you were like, go on, just go all the way. And and he, I think he went out wide and and Joe Bryan got it and, and then we tucked back and went in back on ourselves. But there was a point where Anguissa was just marching through the middle and you're kind of a bit like, go on, just just go. <laughs> just go, no, because no one's, no one's coming anywhere close. The defenders are absolutely terrified because, you know, someone of that physicality, but also with that amount of like, you know, technique and finesse on their touch is, is incredibly difficult to stop in a small area. Even if they foul him there, you know, you, you kind of, you're like, okay, we'll take 15 minutes with this free kick. That's fine. Like we, you know, that's not a problem at all. And Cabana's on the pitch and um, we're like, it, it'll be great. Yeah, it'll be yeah. great and fun. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was one of those moments where he, he just started to, he started to really turn it on after we got to two one and it was like, okay, so I guess has obviously been like, no, no, we're not losing this. Sorry. Like, I'm not having that. <laughs> um, and, and basically did it by himself. So there we have it. In, in a tactical sense, what was really interesting about the midfield, obviously had Seri dropping deep, but then particularly with Onoma and particularly with when Anguisa came on, they would almost step high enough to pull one of Mill's three centre-halves out, who would then have to step up because of the speed that Fulham were moving the ball from left to right. None of the mid-wall midfielders were able to get tight enough. They tried to. They tried to get close to Fabio every single time. But because of that movement in midfield, they couldn't get close to them because of the speed of the ball. Suddenly you end up with these, every now and again, there would be those moments where and, and Gisa is suddenly in loads of space and then Fabio is suddenly in loads of space. And you think, well, how, how have they done that? They were just pulling people apart the whole time. And it, was, it wasn't like Millwall weren't trying to press, weren't trying to sort of match what Fulham were doing. They just couldn't get close enough to them. And it was... It was very, very impressive to watch. And you actually mentioned Neeson Cabana there. We haven't mentioned him, but he was so good. And it was just, yeah. I mean, I, I was oh, I was horrible. Who was it on that on the left-hand side? Was it Cooper? Or? Yeah, it was Cooper. It was Cooper. It was Cooper. Yeah. It was yeah. Jake Cooper. And he, 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 like, honestly, I think my man had to sit down for a dizzy spell at one point. Like, he got nutmegged <laughs> so many times that you're like, oh, God. Like, this is like a training exercise to see how many times. It's like, you know, like, Cabana was like, I think maybe might have thought that every time a nutmeg, we nutmegged somebody, we got a goal. You know, like I used to play at school. You know, I get a couple of nutmegs and it actually just counts for a goal. I think Cabano was playing that game. In the second half, every time they managed to get Cabano isolated against one of those three centre-halves who were just quite lumbering and it was just awful to watch if you're a Millwall fan. But, I mean, it was oh, Cabano was excellent. Absolutely brilliant. Um, it was one of the best performances I've ever seen from Cabana. You know, when we always talk about the free kicks and like his impact in that kind of like playoff run, which was good. And he wasn't, he, he wasn't just about those free kicks in, in, in that run, but also I just think overall the performance was fantastic from him. And actually, you know, this is a Fulham side that, that were missing Harry Wilson. We were missing Bobby Decadova, Reed Jack, and we just kind of found replacements in, in, in Cavan Cabano that fitted the system. And it was all, it was all kind of fine and dandy, really. I mean, 
we didn't need to be worried. But there's a lot to come, isn't there? Harrison Reed's still to come back as well. Um, you know, this is there. There's a lot yet in this Fulham side, and and if these signings come in, it looks like Rodrigo Munoz is, is close now. At this point, it looks like that's that's pretty much a done deal. You know, he's to come in now. Whether he's going to make an impact straight away or not is a different question. But like, you know, there is there's a lot still to happen here, and that's yeah. terrifying. Surely for everyone else. The only thing I do have with Fulham at the moment, I feel like uh, my relationship with Fulham this season is in the honeymoon phase where everything's great and, you know, we're having a lovely time and, uh, you know, we've got John Seri and Frank Zambo and Giso and it all feels wonderful. And actually, you know, the transfer window is still just under two weeks away and we could lose some of these uh, amazing players, particularly Seri and almost, almost certainly Anguissa, but Fulham at this stage are just going, well, we've got them. We might as well use them, which is a bit of a contrast to what Marcus Silva was saying um, a few weeks ago. Uh, Peter, let's come on to the man of the moment, the man of the match, Fabio Carvalho. Um, I noticed on the Fulhamish player ratings, which are notoriously harsh, the Fulhamish player ratings that are done by fans. Even on this occasion, Fabio managed to get over a nine, which is basically a 10. If you can get over a nine on those player ratings, um, the way that the averages work out, then yeah, you've basically completed the game. Um, He was just unbelievable in that 10 slot. It's, It's like every first touch just gave him so much space. And, you know, the finish for the second, the setup for the first, his overall play, he could have set up another three or four, Peter. He probably could have scored another two or three. What a player we have on our hands, who I feel like at the moment, he looks like he's in some inner turmoil, though, between, you know, really enjoying what he's got. But I feel like I can see on the pitch this kind of, this decision that he's got to make over his contract and the fact that his future is really uncertain. I don't know. It looked to almost be playing on his mind. Is I thought that he was fair to say? I, I, I don't know, I, I mate. Don't if know. he's that's been playing on his mind, then yeah, imagine I mean, what he's <laughs> going to be like when it's not. <laughs> well, exactly. There was just a couple of moments at the end, maybe put it that way, or, or where um, you know a couple of players were having to kind of come over to him, like, "No, come on, like you can, like you can celebrate this moment." I, I mean, maybe I was reading too much into it. Let's let's focus on his performance before we talk about the contract stuff. He, yeah, no. I, in terms of his performance, he's uh, he's clearly a special talent. Um, I mean, you, you when you watched him. At 23's level, you just saw that he was a cut above everyone else. And that now he's actually stepped up into the first team. Yes, it's the championship, but he looks a cut above again. Um, and, and to do that, bear in mind, we talked about a very high quality Fulham team here. Um, and we're picking him out above the, you know, above the others, really, uh, in, terms of the, in terms of his play. It speaks volumes for, for his ability. And it was, his movement was very, very good. He really does seem to drift off Mitrovic very well. To be fair to Mitrovic, the way he sort of dropped deep allowed those runners to come forward quite often. And um, his role was such certainly more rounded than I think it's been previously. And he seems to be buying into that too, which is really encouraging. Certainly enjoyed himself as well with the uh, Millwall fans. Um, <laughs> but um, amazing. But yeah, no, in terms of in terms of Fabio, his, his tempo on the ball, um, his dribbling, I, I think I mentioned in the piece afterwards, there was one, I think the, the Cavalero break where he's standing up Kiftenbeld and Kiftenbeld is literally just turning side to side. And, Fabio, and Cavalio doesn't even look like he's doing anything overly particular, but he's just dropping his shoulder left to right and then suddenly he's just opened up into space, feeds the right pass to Cavalero and then obviously Cavalero missed, but... Um, He's such a creative force and he's relishing the system that Silva's playing. I think we talked about it when when Silva came in, how important a number 10 is to him. 
Um, it was the same in, in Greece, Olympiakos, same at Sporting, at Estoril. Um, and you tried it, Everton didn't quite work with, with, with Sigurdsson. But, you know, here it just looks like a player who can score goals, can create opportunities. And it's just thriving, almost playing beyond the striker, finding those pockets of space, being allowed to exploit them, being allowed to try things. Um, but the, the most impressive thing for me was the way in which he's managing these games because they've been pretty brutal, especially this last week in terms of the tackles. I mean, Huddersfield was pretty bad too, but uh, Tuesday night was a was another step up in terms of the, I think it was, he's fouled multiple times. There was one in the second half where Jed Wallace just boots him into the air and it wasn't even booked. And it's every time he'd get back up, every time he would, he would get back on and, and carry on playing. It didn't seem to phase him. And I wonder if that's what you're sort of referring to a bit where towards the end, he's probably getting a bit weary of it. I thought he might've been taken off because of how, how much he was being targeted. Um, but it, he was, it was resilience to him. And there's, there is clearly an element of his character. That's like, no, nah, I'm not going to, I'm not just going to take this. I'm going to try and give it back. Um, the way he would make recoveries, the way he would compete for things. He was, he was competing for headers with, with, six foot center halves and holding midfielders and he would just get knocked to the floor afterwards but it didn't really seem to to matter to him and that's that's what's really exciting I think that, the, that clearly this is a kid who's, who's determined to learn who's determined to compete and right now it's you know it's so exciting and I, you can you can escape the symmetry I know it's been all over socials as well of him celebrating in the same way that Ryan Sessegnon did yeah amazing a few years ago and it's um it's a really exciting time. Uh, you know, I think it was about after 10 minutes, it was very obvious what everyone's thinking. It's like, bloody hell, that man has to sign a contract. He has to sign a new contract. Which I think is such, which is, is I guess what was I was finding like something on Tuesday that I want to say uncomfortable, but I almost just felt a bit sad. I was just a bit like, you know, the crowd was singing, Carvalho, we want you to stay. And it must just be so overwhelming for him right now. Everything that was, you know, what is happening on the pitch must be overwhelming for an 18 year old that was uh, was not an unknown six months ago, but if, in terms of Fulham fans, but in terms of the wider football world, like, no one would have really known who Fabio Carvalho is. And now the world's talking about him. He put us in a display like that. I just think it's such a shame that we, we, he's kind of going through this contract thing. I really hope it's resolved soon so we can just enjoy Fabio Carvalho for the player he is. And there's not always the, oh, and will he sign a contract? Um, Peter, you did do an article this week on the contract situation um, with some comments um, from Silver's press conference last week that were embargoed, so you couldn't say too much. So what was it exactly that, that Silver said? It seems encouraging. That's the main thing. And obviously, if you want to get more on Peter's article, theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod, if you want to subscribe, get 33% off the subscription. Um, and it's a very, very important article if you're interested in the future of, of Carvalho. But without... Spoiling the article, Peter, what are the kind of key takeaways from it? No, in terms of what Marco, Marco Silva's been saying, that it was his quotes ahead of Huddersfield that were, that were embargoed for, for the Saturday and basically said it, it was important that, obviously for Fulham, that he signs. I think that's very clear in the performances that we've seen. Uh, but also that it was uh, important for him that he does renew his contract, that he doesn't, you know, basically, he, he said it a few times now, like he's got to keep his feet on the ground. Um, because as you say, Sammy, this is all coming very, very quickly. It's a very, it is a big step up from the exposure you get at 23 level. There'll be the odd, you know, the odd few comments and on forums and whatever. And, and, and you know, I've, I've done a couple of pieces on him, but you, you, there's not quite the same level as it is now where 
you've got the entire entire way away end serenading him every week and everyone's focusing on it you look on social media you look at the response to, responses to the club account to, to tony khan's account to just general chat it's just sign a contract and he, he'll see all of that he will see all of that and trying to adapt to that will be it's one of those big challenges and i think silver's very aware of of that process um and after Millwall, i, I did an update on on his contract and it's not been straightforward but my sort of understanding is it it's looking more and more likely that he will sign that he will commit to, to signing a new contract and which is really really encouraging and, and you know with these things that things can turn very quickly but um it does feel like player wants to so my what I'm hear what I'm hearing is that he sees the value of Marco Silva and working under Marco Silva and and what he's able to get out of him, um, and, and obviously the club wants to time down. I mean the club desperate to time down, and it's and there are there is interest. There has been interest for ages. I mean even last season where we first first wrote about first did a piece on him, it was mentioned to me that you know Benfica and Juventus were were watching him, or the Portuguese clubs are definitely watching him, um. It's <laughs> he is a talent. Uh, that 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 interest is there. Um, but right now, I mean, even just from my own opinion, I think the the best thing for him absolutely is to stay. Moving is always a risk. It doesn't matter how how good your talent is. There's always that element of uncertainty. And when you're 18 years old with a handful of senior appearances, with the opportunity to be a leading player and one of the best teams in the championship that are going to go up to the Premier League and the exposure that's going to get you, it just for me, it's a no brainer. And yeah. if he wants to go on to whoever else in a few years' time, I don't think many will begrudge him because of his talent. Uh, obviously, we wouldn't want to, <laughs> Fulham fans wouldn't want to hear that, but that's sometimes how it works. And I, I, you know, in, in in terms of after after Tuesday, again, it was it was Silver was praising the way he's learning, how quickly he's taking things on, and um, how impressed he's been with his performances. And then again, keeping his feet on the ground. But in, in, in terms of his contract, which is what everyone, everyone wants to know, the signs are pretty positive. And it, this is more my opinion than something that I've heard and will know, but if it is, it, it should probably be resolved by the end of the month or will have a clear, very clear direction by the end of the month, purely on the basis that a player of his ability, I don't think Fulham can let him let this drag on beyond August. I mean, they would have to, they would, de- they would certainly want to, to get something for him rather than let him pass on and then you have compensation and, and whatever. But, um, you know, this is, this is something that they need to, to address quickly. And, you know, we've talked about Jean-Michel Serri and we talked about Andre Frank and Gieser and, and Marco Silva saying, you know, I want these players in, to be committed. Fabio's played every game as well. And I think if he, if this was causing him an issue, if there was real uncertainty about his future, I'd, I'd be surprised if Silva had kept using him in, in the same way. I think things are encouraging. My understanding is things are encouraging. So now it's just a question of actually signing the contract and, and, and keeping him here. And if, if he does, I mean, what a fantastic boost that would be for Fulham. Signing Da Ting is how you say it, Peter, sorry. Yes, I do apologise. Signing Da Ting. Thank you. <laughs> there we go. That's what we The cultural <laughs> touch points of this podcast registers, eh? Um, Jack, I was actually a little bit surprised. And I don't know if this makes me some heathen that I didn't know this. I just straight up thought that Carvalho was born in Portugal and would play for Portugal. I was quite shocked to suddenly see he's actually in the England youth setup. He, he moved to England in 2013. So that's why he obviously qualifies for, for, for dual nationality. 
I'm not trying to get him on the Gareth, get him on the plane bandwagon just yet when he's played three games in the championship as well as he's played. But it was just a slight pleasant surprise to me. There might be some other people listening that might not have realised that actually that is the direction he's going down at the moment. Obviously, being the nationality you are, Jack, uh, you know that uh, playing at youth level does not necessarily mean that you play for the senior team. Yeah, I mean, I'd strongly encourage Fabio to, to really think about this and, and probably declare for Portugal, if I'm honest. Um, but, but here we are. Um, <laughs> but look, I just all I'm, all I'm saying is Fabio Leandro Freitas Gouveia Carvalho, probably probably should play for beautiful English name um, um so oh yeah he was he was at Benfica until he was 2013 and then came over and uh, I saw a really nice post from Balum the other day actually who uh he posted saying oh Fabio played for us for a couple of years before he you know joined the Fulham Academy in earnest um and and they they, they were like we're really proud of him and I was like that's really nice but yeah um born born in Lisbon and and, and then came over to London at about yeah, sort of 11, 12. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot there and it's, um, it's a, a nice, a nice kind of mix of, of things going on. So, so yeah, um, he is, he is eligible for both. He has played, I think six times for England's under 18. So at the moment it looks very much so that he, he's going to be part of that England setup or at least the England youth setup for a little while longer. So we'll see how we go. Yeah, indeed. I'm certainly not just putting him down that road. I was just saying it was something that I'd noticed and I was interested in. Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break uh, and we're going to do another transfer update. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler. Hello, hello. One thing I wanted to get your opinion on, Peter, is uh, from the press box. Um, what was it? Uh, what was the atmosphere like from the away end? In the away end, it felt like one of the best away atmospheres I remember in an awfully long time. Um, I, I think the Fulham fans felt like they were in good voice. Well, obviously, you were halfway down the pitch. Um, your, your, your thoughts? It, genuinely, it was really, really impressive. I'm not just saying that because I, I'm, I'm on a Fulham podcast and uh, I write about Fulham and, and need Fulham fans to like me. Um, genu- genuinely, it was very, very impressive. Like, you're very, very loud on, on, on Tuesday night. And the Dem, when, when, when the home fans do get behind the team, when they do see something of moderate encouragement, they, they do make one hell of a noise. But no, it was, it was really enjoyable, actually, just, in, just to be in that kind of atmosphere. And obviously, it helps when. When, when Fulham go two 0 up so quickly, but um, yeah. no, no, you weren't, you weren't. It wasn't just uh, wasn't self fulfilling, Sammy. You were okay. making a really good noise on, on Tuesday night. 
Yeah. I mean, Jack, it was just, it was one of those evenings that it reminded me so much in many ways of the the three nil under Jukanovic. It was kind of the same kind of like weather. It was that feel good factor. We were very, very loud. Slight difference in the game that Millwall didn't have that motivation like they did on that particular evening, like that was much more seismic a result because Millwall were also flying at that time where we played them. But there felt like a lot of similarities. Yeah, no, I, I can see where you're coming from. It, it just, I think it's that moment when you when you start well, right? And, and you know how quick Fulham got out of the blocks and suddenly everyone was like, oh God, we're unbelievable. And, and the, as soon as that happens, like you start to get that boost everyone's like right right at it right amongst it and and yeah it was really nice and look I suppose like the difference is we didn't get that kind of weird thing where we got stuck in the pen because they just didn't do the pen and 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 that I suppose speaks to the fact that there wasn't huge amounts of Millwall there um and there wasn't huge amounts of ag to be perfectly honest with you there you know we got the trains back afterwards and everyone was just sort of mixed in together and it was just fine really wasn't it so yeah it, it was a funny one i enjoyed it what felt- t- say what happened on your train i enjoyed what happened on your train so basically we got on the thingy and and, and one of the Millwall fans was like oh loads of fulham on here haven't i everyone was like Wee. um and then <laughs> he uh he basically was like oh what do we have in common then he was like what do we think of chelsea and everyone was like Wee. Like, <laughs> um, so, so that all went, that all went off and um, so yeah it was like it was like it's funny it's the only thing in common is we really hate chelsea and so that the lad next to me just went to be fair we don't really like west ham either <laughs> so <"Wee." laughs> that's good, oh, good. good time well, yeah, I mean, it's a it, these London rivalries. I, you know, everyone goes, oh, it's a London derby. And it's like, yeah, it is. I mean, I mean, no, it's not that much bad feeling. They think we're pansies and we're like, okay, mate, you're not on Green Street either. But um, half the time, but yeah, it's not that much depth of feeling really between Millwall and Fulham. There's not much depth of feeling for Fulham and many London clubs outside the, the West London enclave. Speaking of the West London enclave, can there have been a better set of results, by the way, than Saturday in terms of West London? Um, obviously, you had that lot up the road beating Arsenal, which we didn't enjoy. You had QPR winning 3-0 at Hull, I think. Um, Wallam Green beat Crystal Palace 3-0 and then we won 5-1 away at Huddersfield. There can't surely have been too many better weekends for West London in terms of results. Not that it made me happy, but... No, no, no. Yeah, it was it was it was quite um quite something and look, there's I mean the way that the way that we're going and the way that the QPR have started as well a massive result for them last night um they beat Mil- they beat Middlesbrough away with ten men um so you know if it carries on like this we could uh, could have all of us in the old top tier next year you never know. No, it would be it would be quite remarkable if that was the uh, situation. Three West London derbies in the Premier League, like nearly making up a quarter, waking up one fifth of the Premier League would be from from West London. But let's not get ahead of ourselves too soon. Um, Peter, transfers. Um, what's the latest on our man Rodrigo Meniz? Oh, uh, sorry, I'm uh-huh. miles away. Um, no, say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Say that again. Um, no, no, I was just, just reading something. No, Rodrigo's still in Spain, still in quarantine. Um, we're, I, mean, we're, I mean, we're pretty much on the home straight with that. So, um, I mean, if it doesn't go through at this point, I'd be very surprised. But I think we're just, we're in the just quarantine period now. And um, then once the, once the final boxes are ticked, I think we'll, um, we'll see him soon. But I think we mentioned it earlier in the podcast in terms of when we'll see him. Like it could be a while, just, just in terms of getting him up to speed and um obviously this this whole thing has dragged on for for quite a long time and um so again again just it'll get there it'll get there but it's it is happening 
Okay. Well, exciting. We can't wait for that day to drop. I feel like we'll break the internet when um, finally we see Rodrigo uh, holding a, a Fulham shirt. Imagine if he's played us all this time and he then moves to Borough. Um, I, I can, honestly, I don't want to see it. Um, well, obviously, obviously, you don't, don't want to see it. No, but like, it's in, like <laughs> I just, like, I can't, I can't face the meltdown more than I don't want to see Rodrigo Muniz in a Borough shirt. Just literally, uh, the internet will implode. Um, a couple other rumors this week, Jack. Probably um, your area of expertise. Uh, these two whether they happen or not um, remains to be seen but they seem like rumours with interest the first one was um, was Bruno Paz from from Sporting uh, do we know much about Bruno? Not huge amounts no he's um, he's not featured all that heavily um, for Sporting um, they've, they've obviously had Palina in there in that kind of position and uh, and therefore he he's not really got too many too many minutes, but you know he's it'd be an interesting one. It looks like another one that um, the Marco Silva is kind of asking for himself, um, someone that that he's kind of pushing forward, which is kind of an interesting change of pace on on transfers and uh, on our targets. So so there's that element. It's it's just kind of one of those um, you know strange ones that we're not completely convinced that. I mean, he's he's not the youngest. He hasn't really kicked through into the Sporting first team. Um, he's 23 years old. He's spent more time really in the in the sporting B team than, than anywhere else. Um he's quite played quite a lot in in kind of their equivalent of PL two in, in the Liga Portugal too. Um but yeah, he I mean look, someone who I spoke to at, at Sporting says that they, they really liked him and he was someone that they thought was going to push into, you know, first team contention before the emergence of Palinha as basically this like absolute revelation um in, in that position. So so yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. It's someone that I think you'd be hard pressed to find many people that know much about outside of Portugal. Um, but yeah, um, if Marcus Silva wants him and Marcus Silva knows him, then I'd be interested to see what he sees in him that, that perhaps the Ruben Amorim doesn't. Yeah. And one person that you'll almost certainly know more about, Jack, uh, whether this comes true, but Tancredi Palmieri uh, tweeted this the other day, fairly a uh, reputable man on, on all things Italy about Imbala and Zola from, from Spezia. Mm. Um, this is a man that has made a big impact. Apparently ourselves and West Brom interested, which would be very, very interesting to see if this actually happens alongside Moon as, and also with, with Mitrovic still there because you'd have thought we wouldn't need another forward, but here we are. Yeah. He, and Zola, um, if, if you remember, we were actually linked to him last year as well. Um, he, he's, he's someone who came through really rapidly, you know, his first season in Serie A and he, he really did kind of score 11 goals for, for a Spezia side that were more impressive than I think most people gave him credit for. Um, he played like very much as a centre forward. He has played uh, as a wide forward before um, in, in kind of other, other periods of his career, but you know, it is at Spezia where he really seems to have, you know, taken on the mantle of being a full-on centre forward. I'd be surprised if this goes through. Um, Spezia obviously lost their coach, Vincenzo Italiano, to, to Fiorentina. Um, and he would have been someone who, who Enzola respected and, and who'd got the best out of him. Um, but I can't see that Spezia just letting their kind of main goal threat through in a, in a season where they, I think they're going to struggle a fair bit you know, to, to get themselves into the same positions that they were last year. So, yeah, um, one to keep an eye on, I think. Um, but but I'd be surprised if this goes through, especially there's also links to Michael Obafemi from Southampton at the moment. Um, so so I think that with Ramirez coming in and, 
you know, maybe Marcus Silva wants three forwards. Maybe that's where he's at. Maybe he sees Munoz as one for the future rather than for this season. And that's why we're seeing this kind of transfer touted. But um, yeah, I'm not sure. We'll keep an eye on it. But a good player, definitely a good player in there. Um, but just the fact that he's only had one Serie A season and we've seen him not, you know, light the world up across the rest of his career. Just something just to keep an eye on. Yeah. Um, Peter, a lot of people might be worried about this also, this link uh, moving Tosin away from Fulham to Southampton. They lost Vestergaard to Leicester. Um, is there legs in this one? It feels like one of those logical transfers. My So my Southampton colleague, uh, Dan Sheldon, has written that they are interested. Um, whether there's legs in it is a different sort of question. Um, I think if... If you're Tosin, you're look, you'd probably be looking at the Premier League, as I think a lot of players who drop down to the Championship would be. Um, and I, of the clubs in the Premier League who are looking at centre halves and, and in a position to maybe buy him, it would probably be Southampton uh, at the moment, considering the fact that they've lost Vestergaard and haven't replaced him yet. Um, but again, the in terms of the, the finances it would take to. To, to, to take him away from Fulham. Obviously, he had that £10 million release clause, which has expired. So you're looking at a fee probably just above that, um, you know, if, if if Fulham are happy to let him go. and You'd say slightly heavier than that. I'd be sure that Fulham yeah. pushing for sort of £15 million on at this point. Otherwise, oh, cool. there was no point yeah, having yeah, no, that. I, I'm just, I'm, I, all, I, all I mean is it's going to be above £10 million. Oh, right, uh, yeah. I know Southampton have that money, but whether they're in a position to reinvest it and then reinvest it in terms of salary as well, it's, 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 it's a difficult one. So... Um, we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of things up in the air in the moment in terms of outgoings. We've talked about Anguissa and Seri. Um, there's interest, but interest doesn't necessarily correlate to an offer on the table. An offer on the table doesn't necessarily mean a deal will get done. So um, it's very early. It's There will be interest in someone like Tosin because he's a good player. Um, you can clearly play at Premier League level. Um, so... Yeah, not early days is what I'd, I'd I'd put it, but in terms of interest, yeah, I think I'd be I'd be I would be surprised anyway if he wasn't on Southampton's list as as a as, a, as an option. But uh, yeah, it, it seems like he is certainly. So, um, in terms of finance, if we did were to sell Tosin for fifteen million, I'd be gutted because uh, he's an integral part of this team. But it would be an unbelievable profit in um, in twelve months on a player, wouldn't it? From two million to like reported fifteen million, just shows like what a bit of business that was. Like I know that like a lot of people don't want to give Tony Khan credit, and look, I'm not, I I very sit on the fence here. But that particular deal, and you look at his value now. Is 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 a master stroke, really? And it, well, he knew it. At the well, time, I mean, at the time, it seemed crazy because he's an England player. Uh, we're talking about everyone knowing we're in a post-Brexit environment. I think it's it was pretty pretty ridiculous, to be honest. So, I mean, whatever if he does go, whatever fee they do get, it will be a good, sizable profit. And um, and and for that, you know, you, you have to give credit. So, um, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, there's. I think we you touched on the strikers there, Jack, in, in terms of some of the rumours. Obviously, Abubakar Kamara has gone now. He's gone to Aris. That's all gone through. I think the, the Greek club went a little early in terms of their pitches and saying he was on the way. When uh, So I was sort of told that... Uh, so I think I put out saying Abubakar Kamara has gone and he was on his way to Greece and whatever. But uh, I, I was told that you know the paperwork hadn't arrived yet. So it was a case of, okay, they, they've uh, they've gone very early here. But um, the, he's he's now... He's now gone, and that does just leave Mitrovic. Now, if Mitrovic gets an injury, uh, Fulham are in a bit of trouble. So I do wonder whether there is that sense of can, can we wait for, for Rodrigo Muniz and 
Um, it'd be interesting to see what, what Fulham do. That, To be honest, that's the one concern, and maybe we'll talk about that in the preview, but in terms of injuries in the squad at the moment, in terms of the numbers that seem to do, they're just slowly building up and the way Fulham play, they do seem to get targeted because it's one, it seems to be one of the only ways teams can stop them at the moment is to just kick them. And um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, obviously Josh Onmer went off, Bobby Decker-Dowery wasn't involved. Um, what does where does that leave the squad? Because you know you had Jay Stansfield and and and, and we you know we've seen we've seen Tyrese Francois can play, but I don't think Stansfield would have been able would have come on in that environment um, on Tuesday night. So there's certainly there's certainly room for that. And of, of course, if if, if Seria or and, and or Angisa go, then they would have to be replaced. So it it does feel a bit holding pattern. I think that's how I feel about the, the situation anyway. Yeah, indeed. All right, we'll take a quick break. And as Peter says, let's preview uh, Saturday's visit of Hull. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Peter and Jack. Let's look ahead then to Saturday's visit of Hull to Craven Cottage. And Jack, a mixed start to life back in the championship for Hull. There was that amazing opening day win uh, away at Preston, then got battered by a good QPR side that are clearly going to be in the upper echelons of the league, but then losing to Derby on Wednesday night, massive blow. You'd have thought that this is a game that a Fulham side in confidence should be able to hopefully take full advantage of. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and you know, in that QPR game, George Moncur got sent off. He's kind of the big creative force in this side. Um, so he's going to be missing again. Uh, they played Matt Smith, the, the young Welsh lad um, at, sort of in the kind of advanced role in the midfield against Derby. Um, he's a defensive midfielder, been thrust into a more advanced role, really. It didn't really work. Um, Josh McGuinness is the only real, I mean, I say household name, um, is the only name that the people might recognise in this side. It's a really kind of different whole side to the ones that you'll remember from from when we were in the, you know, kicking around and and, and in the championship with them. You know, the days of, of Jared Boehm and Kamil Krasitsky are, are, are long gone. Um, however, this is a side that did really, really well in League One last year. Um, and, and that win against Preston, look, Preston haven't been great. Let's, let's be perfectly honest. I think Preston are, are, are in a wee bit of trouble, if I'm honest. But um, they have, you know, Hull got some talent here. It's it, it's got it's a very kind of tight-knit squad. They were really, really good last year. There's Keen Lewis Potter who plays uh, on the left wing. He's someone who, you know, has been promoted to that number 11 shirt and, and they have real faith that he's going to go on and, and, and do big things. Um, but to be perfectly honest with you, this is a side and you look at the squad, you look at the depth, you look at the names on the team sheet, the Fulham 100% should be beating. Um, now, again, we know for a fact that that doesn't always mean that Fulham do beat these teams. Um, but, you know, on on paper, this is not a game that Fulham could afford to lose, especially given how tight he is at the top now. And and I know that's ridiculous to say after three games. Um, but you know, the top six are all on seven points. There are some good sides in this championship. We saw West Brom, even if they are long throws, FC. You know, do, do an absolute it was job. Awful, on wasn't Sheffield it? Tonight. I, I'm, I'm I look, I can't watch that. I mean, like, fair enough, lads. But oh. God. It was rubbish, but like it, they did that. That doesn't matter. Like they won four nil, and they were good value for that four nil win as well. Like how they get there is a different question. Um, yeah. You know, QPR with a massive win. Um, I think Stoke are going to be a bit of a problem as well. So, you know, there, there's there's games here that Fulham can't afford to be dropping points in. There are games around those that you know you play the top teams, you you get a draw occasionally. You, you look at it and go, oh, we should have won by more. We should have won that game, whatever. You know, like games like Borough, right? Where you you look at it and go, it's a disappointment that we haven't got the points. But Borough are probably going to be in and around it at the end of the season. Hull are not. 
Hull are not. And and therefore you have to look at this and go, Fulham need three points here or else. And and the teams are going to come to the cottage now and they're going to set up for draws, right? The Fulham good results this year are going to come on the road. They're going to be, you know, the the big the big wins, the the real like classics, the ones where Fulham look like they're absolutely unplayable, I think are going to come on the road. The the ones at the cottage are going to be tighter. They're going to be more grim affairs, I think, um, unless Fulham can get in and around them early. And if we can do what we did at Millwall and, st- and, and absolutely sprint out the blocks, uh, then then I think this whole side are there for the taking. Um, but you have to you have to set, assume they're going to come and set up to for a draw to try and nick anything at Fulham. Um, and, and therefore, it's going to be one of those games where you just can't afford to be dropping any points in it. Yeah. And um, Peter, it'd be important to try and get that win at Craven Cottage as well. It's been an awfully long time. Six months. Since, since we have actually won Is it six home. months? Is it really as long as that? Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, no, I... I that's that will be really important just to blow away the cobwebs for fans to see this team play in full flow. If they can, if Fulham can manage that, I think Hull are a really good opposition to try and do that against. Um, Jack, I was going to say the same thing as Jack actually. It was a really good point that um, that you know teams are teams are going to set up to to defend at Craven Cottage. You know, if you get anything out of a trip to Craven Cottage now, considering those the first three performances, the way Fulham have played, how everyone's talking about them. Um, no one's going to come up, come to Fulham really, aside maybe from the top two, two or three, um, and try to just take the game to to, to Fulham, and um, that will be where it's where it's interesting, and, and it'll be on the road where those spaces open up more easily because of home fan expectation, and that that's going to be the challenge. And, and you know, Jack outlined it well. Hull were very very good last year. Uh, still expect them to do okay this year. Still expect them to stay up in the division. They've got a good manager in Grant McCann who seems to have built a, a really cohesive unit there. Um, but in terms of the the quality gap, again, this, these are results that you you want to put away. I think looking back historically, I had a look and you know teams can afford to drop maybe 14, 15 results generally. I mean, most teams, particularly in the last half decade or so, have dropped points in that around that amount of games, which actually was quite a lot. I was quite surprised by Um so obviously it's not the end of the world if the, the, if the draws pick up a little bit, but you just want to get that early momentum. We talked about how important August is. So far, Fulham have just passed every test with flying colours. If they can keep doing that, head into Stoke, which is, a, I think, the first proper test yeah. um, of the season in, in good form, then uh, the, then things are, things bode well. So it, it, a lot will depend. Hopefully, as, as mentioned before the break, that the deck is overread and and Onomar aren't serious injuries. And um, I think Silver said before the game that Decadavari was a was a minor injury. So let's hope that's the case because the, the squad is filling out quite a bit. You know, Harrison Reed has been on the cusp of coming back for a while, according to the manager, but we still haven't seen him. So um, bringing back that competition, um, obviously Harry Wilson's not available for this one. He won't be available for the Carabao Cup. So yeah, keeping those, keeping those injuries. I think that's the one thing this year that could, that could, could be, a, could be an things. issue yeah yeah that um, is true Although, we can't we can't be dropping points to Hull if we want to beat Reading's points record that's well, what exactly. I say that's exactly, what I say mate. exactly Priorities. yeah we've got to get to 200 points this season so we, you know it's going to be um, a long old slog and we can't drop points against Hull if we want to do that um, right let's finish with the pod name Jack Collins what are we going for Julian Hares Den and Dusted I like that Perfect. it feels oh, like very... a pod name doesn't it it feels like a name You've made me very happy there, Jack. That's the perfect podcast name for today. Well, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back on Sunday reacting to 
the game against Hull. Let's see if we can get three points. Fingers crossed uh, that that is the case. Uh, and my last thing to do today is thank my guest, Jack Collins. Thank you very much, Sammy. And Peter Rutzler. No, no, thank you, Sammy. It's been good. Keep an eye on Peter's socials on Friday for all the team news after Marco Silva's press conference. And thank you very much for listening today. So uh, have a good week. Let's hope for three points. Come on, you are. You are.